We've been going through the Gospels for over a year now, maybe a year and two months, 14 months total. And for the past several weeks, we've been studying parables that Jesus had been giving. And remember, if you're unfamiliar, a parable is a fictional story that is given to convey a real truth. And Jesus had been teaching in this way. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew 13. If you don't have your Bibles and you would like one, we have plenty in the back. And we can definitely get those passed out to you. We've got Thai, Chinese, English, a little mix of both, whatever you like. We also have some transcripts of the message back there in English and Thai and Chinese. In case English is not your first language and you want to follow along better, please go ahead and grab one of those. So Matthew chapter 13, last week we were in verses 24 through 43, and Pastor Mosio, he shared on these verses. And if you remember, we studied the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the leaven, and then we ended with Jesus giving the interpretation of the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, last week when we were studying the parables of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, there was an opinion given last week of what they believe the interpretation of these, of these parables are, right? And, and anytime we study God's Word, we always got to remember there's one interpretation, right? Only one interpretation. People say, oh, we've got some several different interpretations. No, right? there's one interpretation of God's Word. But people have differing opinions at times, right? So we heard one of the opinions on the, the parables last week. And that opinion was that the enemy likes to come in and sow tares within the church, seeks to choke out the Word from, from being taught, and the interpretation of the mustard seed and the leaven was given in, in that manner, interpreted in that way. The opposing opinion of these, these parables is that God blesses the church and grows the church though it starts small, right? He blesses faithfulness and he, he grows the church. And he, and he used the, the mustard seed as an example because it's something so small yet it grows up to be something big. So these are both common opinions, believe it or not. There are common opinions on, on the interpretation of these scriptures. So I just ask you to take these verses, pray on them, and see how the Holy Spirit would lead. Right? And we're called in the church to be like Bereans, who in the book of Acts, they were searching cautiously to see what was being taught by Paul and the others was accurate. And we're called to, to do the same. And the church body has been doing that, and that's a sign of a healthy church. So praise the Lord. Right? But search the word of God. And then remember, grace and mercy, right? Grace and mercy. So today we're going to pick it up in verse 44 as we continue to study the parables that Jesus gave regarding the kingdom of heaven. So if you're following along in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13, let's go ahead and read that verse together. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So Jesus starts with the word again. And he starts with this because he's been sharing about the kingdom of heaven for some time now. We've been studying these parables for a little over a month, right, in Mark's gospel and now in Matthew's. And I love this parable. It's only one verse, right? Not, not too much is given, but it's a beautiful story, and we're going to pick it apart for a little bit. So bear with me. So in this parable that Jesus gives, it really shows us a great example of the heart of Jesus. And understand, whenever we read these parables and whenever we read anything in Scripture, all Scripture points us to Jesus, all Scripture is given to point us to Jesus. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, Scripture is about Jesus. How we can know Him, how we can draw close to Him, how we can serve Him and seek to know Him more. 
And in last week, verse 37, when Jesus was explaining the parable of the wheat and tares, in verse 37, he said that the one who sows the word of God is himself. And Jesus was saying that he is the one who does the work. Jesus doesn't need anyone to do the work. He doesn't need anyone to reach the people of this world for salvation. He's independent. It's one of his attributes as God. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, with whomever he wants. He doesn't need the resources of man. He doesn't need man's education or a lack thereof. And this is why you study throughout history, societies have tried to erase Jesus, tried to erase the word of God, and they have failed. Why? Because Jesus is independent. He has no rival. He has no equal. He's the one who does the work. However, Jesus invites us into the work. Because though he doesn't need us, he, he wants us. And that's amazing, right? The creator of all the universe, he wants to invite us into the work. Now, in this particular parable, Jesus is telling us about the great value of the kingdom of heaven, the great value of salvation. And I believe the man in this parable, I think it can easily see a picture of Jesus within this parable. And why do I say that? Because Jesus said in this parable that a man went out, he found this, this field, and in this field he found a great treasure, and he went out and he bought the field. Now, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. We know that we can't buy our salvation. We know that we can't buy the kingdom of heaven. We can't buy ourselves access into it. We're saved not because of anything we've done. And this is why Christianity is, is, is different than all religions of this world, right? Because it's not us doing the work. And so many people, especially in this country, they try to earn their salvation. They try to work themselves up to good favor and standard with God. But it's not possible. We can't earn our salvation. There's no way we could ever possibly pay for the price of redemption. And the only way we could pay for our sins is an eternity in hell separated from God forever. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So I believe as we read this story about this man who went and bought this hidden treasure in the field, we see a picture of Jesus. And he went out and he bought salvation for us. Jesus came, he took our sin, our shame, our reproach, he took it all of himself, came in the form of man, he lived, he bled, was tempted like us, and he suffered for us. And Jesus knew before the start of time that he was going to come and be the Savior of the world. And Peter wrote about that in 1 Peter 1. And we're not going to turn there, but read those verses on your own, verses 18 through 20 of 1 Peter 1. But in this parable, Jesus said this man found this treasure. Now, when we see this word found, it's kind of easy to think, well, if someone finds something, they must have lost it first. So did Jesus lose salvation? Did he lose heaven? Did he lose us? No. We know Jesus never lost salvation. He never lost the kingdom of heaven. He never lost us. The word found here, it translates to mean to secure something. And Jesus came to secure salvation for us. Because we could never earn our way to heaven. And maybe you're joining us here today, and you think to yourself, I, I can make it to heaven. I'm good enough. I have bad news for you. You're not good enough. Well, I'm a good person. No, you're not. I guarantee it. <laughs> I'm not a good person either. But the good news is there is a way to be forgiven of your sins, and it's through Jesus Christ and what he's done. And Jesus, he sought to obtain us. Isn't that amazing? As this man was going out to find this hidden treasure, 
Jesus, he views us as his treasure as well. And if you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter wrote this. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. This is amazing. This is how God views you. And this is what Jesus was willing to do for you, to secure salvation for you. Now, notice also in this parable, it says this man, when he found this hidden treasure, he went out with joy. He was motivated by the joy in his heart. And in the same sense, Jesus was motivated to endure the cross because of his joy that was set before him. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know that joy that was set before Jesus? It was me and you. Isn't that amazing? That was the joy that was set before Jesus. Understand, Jesus didn't have to die. Right? There's, there's not some kind of form of government in heaven where the Father was like, Jesus, you got to go die. No, Jesus, he chose to come and die. He chose to take your sin upon himself. He chose to go through the shame and the reproach and the suffering that he went through. And the reason he did it was because he loves you. Because he loves me. And this is an amazing thought to me that I've just pictured this. Jesus, he knew all the times that I would fail him. He knew all the times I'd fall short of his glory. He knew all the times I'd curse him. All the times I'd blaspheme him. All the times I'd misrepresent him. And yet, he still said, they're my joy. And I'm going I'm to come down and die for him anyway. Jesus, he knew my sins, past, present, future, right? He knew all the things that I would do in private, all the things I would do in public, all the foolish things I would say and speak. And he still said, you're my joy, and I'm going to come die for you. I'm going to come take your place. This is the God that we serve. Now notice in this parable, Jesus said, this man, he goes out with joy, and he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. This is an amazing picture for us, isn't it? Because Jesus wanted us so badly that he gave up everything for us. He gave up his place in heaven, and that's not to say he's not there now. He is. But he came down took on the form of man, suffered, was tempted, was bled, right? And he did all this for us. And when you study Jesus, it's truly amazing, his life. He had just really a close-knit circle, right? Twelve people who followed him. One who lived with him for many years would end up betraying him. One who said, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll do anything. I'll do anything for you. That same man denied him. He was rejected by his own family, by his own people, he was handed over to the Romans, which this was very uncommon for the Jewish people. The Jewish people hated the Romans. They would never give one of their own over to the Romans, and yet they did, because that's how much they hated Jesus. They blasphemed him. They mocked him. They spit upon him. They ripped his beard out. And I shared this before, and I'll share it again. If you're a man in here and you have facial hair, that hurts. Bad, right? And Jesus had that happen to him. He was spit upon, beaten, whipped, and eventually crucified. And he did it for us. He did it for you. He gave up everything for you. In that shame that was set before Jesus, understand the process of crucifixion was a very shameful process. The Romans would reserve crucifixion for the worst of criminals. As a matter of fact, they had him crucified on top of a hill so that you could overlook it from the city, right? Everyone in the city can look up on that hill and see you hanging there. Many times the Romans would strip criminals naked to shame them on the cross. They'd invite people to come up and freely spit upon the people on the cross. Despite all the shame, all the agony, Jesus, he gave it up for me and you. 
He went through that for you. So my question to you is this. What are you willing to give for Jesus? What does the kingdom of heaven mean to you? What does the calling that God has for your life mean to you? Because to Jesus, you are worth everything, even the laying down of his life. Can you say the same about Jesus? One of my favorite stories in all scripture, it's, it's, it's like super short. I don't know why it's one of my favorites, but I love it. So when Jesus, he pulls his disciples aside one day and he says, who do people say that I am? And, you know, they start going, oh, you're John the Baptist, or they, they say you're a prophet, or maybe you're Elijah. And Jesus is like, okay, but who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Who am I to you personally? And Jesus is asking that same question to each one of us today. Who am I to you personally? I'm not asking you what people say about me. I'm not asking you what the Bible says about me. Who am I to you? Is Jesus your Lord, or is he not? So what is it that God is asking you to do for his kingdom? Maybe it's an uncomfortable task he's given you. Maybe he's given you a command to do something. You don't want to do it. Are you willing to give it up for Jesus? Are you willing to do it for his kingdom? And maybe it's your freedom. Maybe it's your life. Is Christ worth it or not? And many will sit here and say, well, yeah, of course, Jesus, woo! Right? But you don't give any time to Jesus throughout the week. It's easier to sit here and say, yeah, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. I'll, I'll go die for you, right? But then you go out and you don't give any time to Jesus throughout your week at all. You won't die for something you don't live for. Let's look at verses 45 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, Jesus shares a very similar story, I believe, with the same message. He's telling us that Jesus himself, he paid the price so that we could be saved and have eternal life. But notice this time, the kingdom of heaven is not likened to a hidden treasure in a field. Instead, it's likened to a pearl, a very costly pearl. In other words, Jesus is saying salvation in the kingdom of heaven, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, right? Just as people would look at these pearls and they say, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. So salvation is a beautiful thing. And I, I'm sure, especially in the world that we live in, especially for our family in Myanmar, I think about this, I'm sure the thought of salvation is a beautiful thought. As all they know right now is war and pain and agony and anguish and loss, right? For the past couple of years, as they've been experiencing, maybe for some of them their entire lives, the thought of a place where there's no more war and no more pain and no more killing and no more violence, that's a beautiful thought for them. A place where I'm going to go, I'm not going to be crying there anymore. I'm not going to feel loss or pain. Everything's going to be perfect. And I'm going to be in the presence of God complete forever. I won't even be thinking about these trials on earth. I won't even be thinking about loss and hardship. I'm sure the thought of salvation is a, is a beautiful picture and a beautiful thought for many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. But notice that in this, it's not just a beautiful thing that salvation is likened to, but it's called a pearl of great price, something that's very costly. Salvation was very costly, whether you knew that or not, whether you knew that and need to be reminded of it. Your salvation wasn't free. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 tells us that we were bought with a price. And the price that was paid for your salvation is Jesus Christ and his death for you. So as we walk around and we call ourselves Christians and we go out to be ambassadors for Jesus and we go out and we're saying, yeah, I'm a little Christ, I'm a representative of Jesus, but you lose sight of the price that Jesus paid for you and you go out and you misrepresent him, we're going to answer to God for this. Jesus paid the price for us so that we could live for him. Jesus didn't pay the price for us so that we could live however we want. Jesus paid the price so that we would be like Jesus. 
I think another great application for us in this story, that we can draw from this story, that is, is that this man in this parable, he went, he found this costly pearl, he went, he sold everything he had, he got this pearl, and he was content with it. He was content. Even though he had to give up everything he had to get it, he was content just having this. And I think this is another beautiful picture for us here, that whenever we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are given a peace that can't be replicated by anything else in this life. And for those of us who know Jesus, I'm sure we all can attest to this, that when you give your life to Jesus, you feel satisfied, you feel filled. I remember before I accepted Jesus, the longing I felt in my heart. The longing and desire I had, this void, this emptiness, and I kept trying to fill it in every way that I could. And I always thought, well, maybe it's if, if I have more of this or more of that, then I'll be filled. Maybe if I'm in this relationship or that relationship, then I'll have peace and I'll be filled. But you know what? It never filled me. Why? Because I thought I needed more when all, really the truth was, I had a big problem and it wasn't what I didn't have. It's what I had, sin. And the only remedy you will ever find to sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can satisfy you. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you can relate to this. Yeah, I have that longing in my heart. Yes, I have that desire to be filled. How do I fill it? Where do I find this peace? You talk about peace and joy. Where do I get it? Jesus. Not in anything else. It's in Jesus. Not in Jesus plus something. Jesus. And the work that he did on the cross. Lastly, and then we'll move on. If you notice in this story, Jesus said the man who bought this pearl, he had to pay a great price. And again, we see a picture of Jesus who paid a great price for us. But for each one of us, if we're going to walk in the calling that God has for us, and we're going to seek to further his kingdom, and we're going to live out our salvation, there's a price tag that comes on it for each one of us. It's going to cost us something as well. And I think many Christians fall away from their faith because they're not understanding that in order to follow Jesus, you're going to have hardships. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have trials. We're not up here teaching you that if you, know, if you come and you give money to the church that you're going to be peace and you're going to have a big house and God... No, that's false teaching. And these false teachers are going to answer to God for this. No, Jesus never promised you that you're going to have a big house and lots of money. He did say you're going to have trials and hardships. As a matter of fact, he said people are going to hate you because of me. And he said, they're going to deliver you over to the jails. They're going to deliver you over to death, right? And that's not to say that all of us in here are going to be, you know, killed for Jesus. But it is to say we all will have to suffer for him one way or another. And up here, we're not up here to tickle your ears. We're here to teach you the word of God. We're not asking you for your money. We just want to give you the word of God. And anytime you seek to walk in the calling that God has for you, you will pay a price for it. There is a cost for each one of us, and it's different for each of us, right? You look at Matthew in the Bible, the author of this book, when he first followed Jesus, you know, before he followed Jesus, he was a tax collector. This guy was rich. He had a big house. He had a lot of money. But when he followed Jesus, he had to give all that up. He didn't take his big house with him to follow Jesus. No, he had to give it up for Jesus. Maybe for some of us, it's financial stability we have to give up for Jesus. Look at Paul. And we know Paul was, was martyred, but before that, Paul, he lost his freedom. He was in prison many times. And for long periods of times, we also know historically and through certain aspects of scripture that Paul was in terrible health as well. He lost his health. He lost his freedom. That was the price that Paul paid. For Peter and the other disciples, we know the price they paid was their own lives. So the question is not, are you going to suffer for Jesus? The question is, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to give it all for him? And again, look at the example that we have in Jesus who paid it 
all for us. And for those of us who do give it all up for Jesus, right, there's a beautiful promise for us in Scripture in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Jesus said, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. The beautiful picture. No matter what you walk through, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still sovereign. He's still going to take care of you. He's still going to use you. But are you willing to give it all for him? Are you willing to pay the cost? Let's look at verses 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So this is the last parable that Jesus gives in this certain area of Scripture. And understand in this context and at this time, these parables that Jesus had been sharing, these last ones have been to the disciples only. If you remember, after Jesus gave the parable of the leaven, he sent the multitudes away. So now he's just speaking mainly to the disciples. And this last parable he gives, he gives it about a story of a dragnet. Or in other words, this was a heavy fisherman's net. Right? And it was a weighted net that they would throw into the sea, and it would stay on the sea floor for maybe a few hours, and then they'd come back and they'd lift it up. And you can imagine, there was a little mix of everything in that net. The fishermen would then have to take it to the shore, they'd have to sift through it, right? Because there were some things that were bad, undesirable, they had to get rid of, and things that were good, that they were looking for. And, and just notice, I love this, Jesus is speaking relatable language here for the disciples, He's he's speaking in a way that's clear and that they can understand. A lot of them understood this term, and we know at least four of his disciples were fishermen. Jesus, he was speaking in a relatable language. And that's, I just think, significant in the way that Jesus taught. He related to the people he was ministering to, and it's a good example for us. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go to the doctor and I'm diagnosed with something, they always tell me the weird medical scientific name before they tell me what's actually wrong with me. I'm just like, you speak to me in English. And they're like, that is English. I'm like, simple English, right? I don't relate. I don't understand. Jesus, he's speaking in a way that the people can relate to and understand. So Jesus said in this story that the net caught some of every kind. We know the net is the word of God. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So Jesus is saying the word of God will be shared throughout all the world. And the word of God will attract people to it. But inside of it, there will be people who know and believe in Jesus Christ and his word. There will be people who do not believe in Jesus and his word. And there will be people who claim to believe in Jesus and his word, but do not. And anytime I read a story about this in scripture, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But it is a good reminder for me that I'm going to face Jesus in judgment one day. And each one of us, we will give account to the way we lived our lives. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you will face God and give account for your life and whether you believed in him or not. And understand this, if you are saved, that judgment starts with the church. So we should be getting our hearts right when we read something like this. But Jesus said at the end, in the day of judgment, the angels will come, they'll separate the wicked from the just, right? In the same way that he explained this in the parable of the wheat and the tares, it's a very similar parable. Right with a similar interpretation. And Jesus said, and those that are good and those that are just, they'll go into eternal life with God forever. But those who are wicked 
will be thrown into a furnace of fire where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth, Jesus said. Understand this, if you're here today and you're a Christian, we're likened to a good and a just vessel. Don't get carried away with that because you're not good and just in your own. You're good and just because God is good. Right? There's no one, again, there's none who are good. We possess no goodness in ourselves apart from Christ. We're called good and we're called just because of Jesus. Because he's good. Because he redeemed us and he took us and he made us without reproach before God. So as we read this story, Jesus says that the wicked will be thrown into a furnace of fire where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. This picture is a picture of severe agony and pain. And the, the term wailing and gnashing of teeth in the Greek language, it's, a, it's the most emphatic way to describe a pain and suffering unlike anything you've ever imagined. And this is what hell is going to be like. Now, what is your response when you read this? Is your response a response of joy? That the people you hate and the wicked people of this world are going to go to this place of eternal suffering? Is that your response? Maybe there's some people flashing through your head right now. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're right, you read it and you, they just pop up in your mind. Is that your response? Maybe your response is, oh, well, at least that won't happen to me. I'm good. And you stay in your little Christian bubble, go throughout the week, right? You go to church on Sunday. If you're super spiritual, you go on Wednesday. You read your Bible throughout the week. You call your Christian friends. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. These things are good. But you stay in that little Christian bubble and you're like, I don't have to worry about this. It doesn't apply to me. Is that, is that your response to this? Or is your response a response like Jesus? A heart that's broken for the lost. Because whenever I read this, I just it, it makes me tear up thinking about this. This is an p- actual literal place. This isn't metaphorical. This isn't figurative speech. This is a literal place, and people are going there. And if you're serving here as a missionary, let me remind you of the statistic in this nation that there's less than 1% Christian in this nation. And, and I don't say this out of judgment. I say it as, as a challenge, as God has challenged my heart with this. Chiang Mai has one of the most missionary, it's one of the most populated places with missionaries than anywhere else in the world. Church, there's less than 1% Christian here, and I understand we can't save people, we can't change anyone's heart, but are we going out and sharing the gospel? Because when we read something like this, and we read this story, it should stir our hearts to go share Jesus with the lost, because there are people who are going to this place of severe pain and agony. Forever. Forever has no end. And if you're trying to comprehend forever, you can't. Right? We're bound by time and space. We can't comprehend a thought of eternity. But that's where these people are going to go. And these are the people that God has called us to minister to. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-4 through 4 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God's heart. This is God's desire for all to accept Him as Lord and Savior. Is your desire the same? Is your desire to see the lost come to faith in Jesus Christ? Think about it. God's desire is to see the most wicked, evil, vile person imaginable on this earth. He wants to see them saved. And sometimes we can't kind of comprehend that. Because we think of these people who are wicked and evil, and we don't want them to go to heaven. We don't want them to be saved. We think, you know what, there's no way they could come to repentance. That's not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus breaks for all. Wicked, evil, the whole nine yards. Is your desire the same? Think about the most hateful person or people in your lives right now. Is your desire for them to be saved? 
Think about your enemies in your own life. Is your desire for them to be saved? We need to love them as Jesus loves them and as Jesus loved us. And you might be sitting there thinking, I can't do that. And you're correct, you can't. I can't either. We're not capable of loving this way on our own. (laughs) There's only one way we could supernaturally love these people. It's by the Holy Spirit living within us. And praise the Lord, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. So we are capable of loving these people through God's strength and by His power. But it just shows us why we need Him. Right? We need to be in His Word daily. We need to be in prayer. And we need to be praying for a heart that sees the world as Jesus sees the world. Asking God for His strength. Are you in the Word of God daily? How important is it to you? And you might be saying, yeah, I'm in the Word of God. I'm not talking about the daily prayer verse that comes up on your phone. I mean, are you being intentional, taking time aside for the Lord and being in His Word and in prayer? How important is it to you? Because if we want to have a heart like Jesus, we need to learn about the heart of Jesus. Let's look at verses 51 through 52. Our last two verses for the day. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? Then they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Jesus, he asked the disciples in verse 51, he says, Do you understand everything that I just told you? And the word understand here in a Greek, it's a word called suna amy, and it means to strongly consider something and to act piously on that. In other words, it means you are strongly devoted to something. You're not just seeking to comprehend what was told you, but you're seeking to live it out as well. And this is what Jesus is asking the disciples when he says, you understand what I told you? He says, do you understand the responsibility that you have because you know these things? Church, we have a responsibility because we know the truth. Now, every person is accountable for the way they live their life. You will give an account to God whether you know him or not, right? For Christians, we're doubly accountable. Why? Because we know the truth. We know the truth. So are we living it? This is what Jesus is asking. Don't just comprehend this. Apply it. And this is how we are called to be with the Word of God. It's to be dealt with great reverence and respect. Does this describe your relationship with the Word of God? And maybe for some of you, your Bible's still sitting in the car from last Sunday. No judgment. It happens. Right? Maybe your Bible's at home and you can, you can draw a cross on it because of the dust. <laughs> Right? As your relationship with the Word of God, do you revere it? Do you respect it? Is it holy to you? Because it is God's holy Word. But back to the point. Jesus asked the disciples if they understand this. And look at their response. I, I love their response. And it's interesting because I was reading, you know, what people thought on this verse. And people said, oh, you know, the disciples are probably lying. I, I don't think so. I, I love their response. They did very simple. Yes, Lord. I understand. And when I read that. I wasn't judging the disciples. I was like, I want to have that same response to Jesus. Do you understand everything that I've spoken to you? Are you going to apply everything that I've given you? Are you going to bear that responsibility that I've given you to share my word? I pray my response would be the same as these disciples. Yes, Lord, I will. Is that your reply to what Jesus is commanding you to do with your life? Is, yes, Lord, your reply to what Jesus is asking you to give up for him or to give up for his kingdom? And again, it's different for each of us. We're all called to give up different things. Maybe for some, it's a relationship. You need to give that up. Maybe for some, it's control. You need to give that up. Maybe for some, it's pride. We definitely need to give that up. But is your response the same? Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I will live for you. I will read your word. I'll be in it. I will apply your word. Finally, verse 52. Jesus says, therefore, every scribe is like a householder. Now, I'm not going to lie. When I read this verse, I said, I 
what does this mean? <laughs> you know, he just kind of went, Jesus like, you understand these things? They're like, yes. And then he proceeds to say something that's hard to understand. And I was like, I just sat there staring at this verse, staring at this verse. And I was just like, Lord, give me something. <laughs> give me some wisdom with this. And I believe after, after praying through this that Jesus is saying, first and foremost, the word scribe, it interprets to mean teacher, right? That's all it means. Jesus was sending his disciples out to teach what they had been taught. And they were responsible to teach the truth. They were responsible to have a knowledge of the full truth, the old and the new. And Jesus likened this to a householder bringing out old and new things. And so it is with the word of God. We're to have a knowledge of the old and the new. Because the whole word of God is the whole counsel of God. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, I'm not a teacher. Well, Jesus has instructed you to go out and teach the word of God. Because, see, Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, that's not to the disciples only. It's not, it's not to 50% of this room. It's to anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus. He said, go, preach to every creature, teach them all the things that I have commanded you. Jesus was sending the disciples out to teach what they had been taught. And if you're going to teach something, you need to be familiar with it. Funny story, I'll share it briefly. When I was in Burma, I got invited to teach at an international school. This is funny because I didn't graduate high school. And I'm like, well, you know what? Sure, I'll teach. Maybe they just want me to teach English. I'm like, you want me to teach English? They said, no, we want you to teach science. I'm like, you're kidding. Well, I did it. Praise God, right? I just trust the Lord with that. But I'll tell you what, it was very hard to teach something I didn't know. And in the same sense, as we're called to go out and teach the Word of God, we can't teach something that we don't know. And there's many Christians who run out in the mission field, Jesus, yeah, but they don't even have a knowledge of the Word of God. And they don't have a knowledge of the Word of God because they're not in the Word of God. Again, if we're to go out and share the truth of Scripture, we need to be in the Scriptures. And no Scriptures of less importance or significance. The Old Testament is applicable to us just as much as the New. And I know that might be hard sometimes if you're going through Leviticus right? Put in the regulations for a leprous sore is not something you put on a coffee mug. I get it. But you know what? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is profitable and there's truth in all of God's word. And we're to have a knowledge not just of one book in the Bible, but to be in the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. Guys, this is amazing. This is one of the greatest miracles we could ever imagine, the word of God. So again, do you handle the word of God well? Do you treat it with reverence and respect? Because God views his word very highly. And he wrote this in Psalm 138, verse 2. He says, you've magnified your word above all your name. This is how God views his word. This is how holy it is to him. This is how important it is to him. Is the word of God this important to you and me? Again, I don't say this with judgment. I say this out of love. And I say these things because God has challenged my own heart in these things. God didn't call us out here to, to just merely meet humanitarian needs. That's great. We should be doing it. But the most important thing we can do is share Jesus. You can give someone food enough to extend their life for a few weeks, but there's, there's nothing you can offer them when they die and they have to face eternity. The most important thing we can do is share Jesus. Share the Word of God. Be in the Word of God because we are responsible for that which we have been given us. For each of you in here, you have your Bibles. God entrusted that to you. You're responsible to how, with how you deal with that. You're responsible with how you present that and how you live according to that and how you share it. You're responsible for it, just as I'm responsible for it. And we have been given a great responsibility. And this is why at this church, we teach the Word of God verse by verse. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with topical teachings. 
not a fan of them. Because many times in a topical teaching, people will just pick Scripture apart out of context. Listen, we go through the Word of God, God is going to draw out these things. He's going to draw it out. That's why it's important we are ground ourselves in the Word of God. But again, you can't give what you don't have. You can't share the Word of God if you're not in the Word of God. So I'll wrap up with this, and then we'll, we'll pray and continue to worship. Today we, we continue to study Matthew 13. And Jesus, he finished giving these parables and these lessons. Again, these fictional stories that were given to relay a real truth. And he gave these to his disciples so that they could learn, so that they could grow, that they could go out and teach it to others. And we looked at the parable of the hidden treasure in the field. We looked at the parable of the, the pearl of great price. And we looked at the parable of the dragnet. And in all these, these parables and, and stories, Jesus, he gave us amazing truths, but also amazing lessons and applications for each one of us. First and foremost, remember, Jesus gave everything for you. He gave everything for me so that we might be saved and have eternal life through him. He held nothing back from us. So the question is, what are you holding back from Jesus? And what are you willing to give for him? What are you willing to give for the kingdom of heaven? How important is it to you? Because Christ looked at you despite the mess you were in. And he said, I love them. I love them. I want to I die for them. I want to give up everything for them. Are you willing to give it all up for Jesus? We also ask this question. Are you prepared to pay the cost of living a life for Christ? Finally, does your heart break for the lost? When you read about the judgment of God and you read about hell, these things, it should break your heart. It should break my heart to go out and want to share Jesus with the lost people of this world. Are you actively sharing Jesus? Are you sharing Jesus with even the enemies in your life? The people you don't like, the people that just drive you nuts, are you sharing Jesus with them? And as the disciples were taught the word of God, they were entrusted with it and so are we. May we deal faithfully with the word of God as we've been entrusted. May we share it with others. And if you're not here today, if you're here today, I'm sorry, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you with this. Jesus, he loves you. He paid the ultimate price for you. He held nothing back because he seeks to have you have eternal life. And maybe you've been searching for peace and joy and hope, but you haven't found it. There's a reason. Because you can't fill this with the things of this world. You can only, it can only be filled with Jesus Christ. But I challenge you with this. Don't put off getting right with God because you're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. Let's pray and then we'll continue our worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word, God. We know that your word is powerful, that your word gives life. Lord, we just thank you for, for Jesus, for the laying down of his life, for our sins, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have hope. We thank you that, that Jesus, he saw the price that it would take. He knew how much it would cost to take our sin upon himself. He knew the cost of our redemption, but he still did it. Thank you for this love, Lord. Father, teach us how to love like this. God, teach us how to show grace and mercy if you've shown us grace and mercy, God. Father, help us to give to you whatever it is we've been holding back from you. Lord, the things that we don't want to give up, the things we want to hold on to, the things that have been separating us from you, God, help us to surrender these things to you. Lord, that we would seek and pursue the kingdom of heaven, Lord, as Jesus did for us. Give up everything that we have because you're worth it, Lord. You're worth every breath that we breathe. You're worth living for. You're worth dying for, God. Lord, give us a hunger for your word. Give us a heart that looks like your heart, a heart that breaks for the lost. Give us a burden to go share. Give us boldness to share, God. May revival stir in this city, Lord, but I know revival needs to start in our hearts. So God, revive us. Revive your church. 
Break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. And thank you, Lord, for entrusting us your holy word. May we just be faithful ambassadors of this word, God. And may we go out and be faithful representatives of of your gospel. Thank you for this time, Lord. Please continue to bless our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.